0: Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know. And we'll catch you next time. Well, good morning. My name is Mike. I'm the uh, the student pastor here at Hillside. And uh, I have to tell you, it's it's kind of amazing that I'm even up here right now for Advent. Uh, I I had a somewhat... Um, traumatic experience with Advent back in my youth and I have decided to share that with you but I also, I've noticed something very different about when I share things personal with adults versus when I share them with youth, okay? It may be that you guys are listening better but you also remember stuff so much more than the youth do, okay? Because I share things about, like, my wife liking Hallmark movies, and I hate them and everything. And you guys are, like, six months afterwards, like, you want to fight? I like Hallmark movies, too. I'm like, no, that's all right, man. I, that, you can like Hallmark all you want. Or People are still saying to me, you know, that whole Mike Ziniti, eight-foot-tall Disney buildings, like, just stories that are shared. You guys use them against me. In ways that I thought teenagers would do it, but you're the ones that do it. I'm like, all right, maybe I will have to fight over Hallmark, maybe, I don't know. Here's what happened, all right? I'm like eight or nine years old. I'm visiting a, uh, a cousin over, over Christmas time period, and while I'm there, uh, we get put in our little, our, our children's classroom for Sunday school And they're lighting the Advent candles. And so since I'm the newbie, I'm the visitor that is in town for this service, they're like, Mike, would you like to be the one that lights the Advent candle? Well, you can't decline that, right? Like, especially if you're the newbie and you said, nah, I'm good, they'd be like, you hate Christmas? What's going on? You know, just all this stuff. And so I want to step up and show everybody I love God. I love Christmas. I'm like, sure, I will light the Advent candle. Okay? So I take it strike the match, light the candle, go to blow out the mat or blow out the match, and I blow out the candle as well, okay? Literally advent that year lasted 3 seconds. And I don't know, I don't know who wrote the rules of advent, okay? Whoever it is, said that after the candle was blown out, you cannot relight the candle. Because I'm sitting there like, well, can we relight it? Like, that was not supposed to go that way. And now I am the one that hates Christmas. And so when Pete and Daniel and Cody, we all got together, and we said, we're going to do Advent this year. I'm like, one condition. Do not let me anywhere around those candles, okay? I don't want to relive any moments. Even now, looking down at them, I feel like if I get a little breathy when I'm speaking or cough, like, I could knock one of those out. And again, Mike would hate Christmas, okay? So I, I, uh, I have some experience, I have some trauma that comes, but also at the same time, not having a lot of experience or really paying attention growing up to what was going on and why the Advent candles are getting lit. Uh, I've really enjoyed seeing these themes uh, of, of, you know, the hope that Christ brings, the joy, the peace, uh, the the love that he brings, and we're all, Advent is just building up, and it's looking to the coming of Christ, and as Pete talked about last week, there's no one better to look to Christ than John the Baptist, and what he did, and the role that he played, because John was, was literally prophesied as being the voice in the wilderness, all right, he was the one that was standing and pointing at Christ and saying, there he is, he's coming, he's right here. Here, he's an Old Testament prophet that is right on the fringe of this beautiful new covenant in the ways that Christ is going to change the world. And so to kind of set up a little bit of of our story in Luke 7 that we're looking at and following and kind of continuing on with John, uh, we need a little bit of context that kind of we talked about last week. And that is that that John has, has just had a literal come to Jesus moment. All right, he got to baptize Jesus, and while he's baptizing him, he hears a voice from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. All right, he gets that confirmation, here he is. That voice that you have been saying, the, the son of God is coming, he's right here. And John gets to see this dove, this Holy Spirit, all right, in the form of a dove, come down and rest on Jesus. He has a literal come to Jesus moment. And in this, in this text, in Luke 7, all right, it's, it's at least six months after that moment that John has been imprisoned. He got in prison because uh, King Herod, or I should say the Tetrarch, Herod Antipas, all right, was getting married to his brother, King, or not King, sorry, I keep saying that, all right, Herod Philip's wife, Herodias, and if you're like me, you're going, could no, were there no other names available back then? Like everybody's got to be a Herod or something, okay? And so John is sitting there saying, this is wrong. Herod Antipas, you should not be marrying your brother's wife. This is messed up. This is a sin in the sight of God. And obviously the Herods, all right, did not enjoy that. And so they imprisoned him. And by the time that we get to Luke 7, he has now been in prison for at least another eight months, all right? So we're, we're looking at just under about a year and a half from the baptism that this, this passage is taking place. And as we look at it, we get to see a little bit of John's doubt. I just want us to, to factor in some things that are happening here in John's life. Because here is a man that was given the God-given identity of being the voice in the wilderness, This was not some self-made identity. This was not him just saying, well, I'm good at this, and so therefore my identity is that, or I'm a tough guy, and so my identity is that. This is a God-given identity, that he is the voice in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. And as he prepares, he has a chance to speak, to ask the Jews to repent, to come back to God. And now he's been in prison now for eight to ten months so we have a man that was in the wilderness, that was, was out and was wild and free, and he's imprisoned. He's confined. We have a, a man who was the voice, the literal voice, and now he's been silenced. And so it contributes to kind of what's happening here because in Luke 7 verse 18, here's, here's what it says. It says that the disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything that Jesus was doing. So John called for two of his disciples and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, are you the Messiah that we've been waiting for? Or should we keep looking for someone else? It's hard to imagine that John, after having a literal moment with Jesus, like this come to Jesus moment, is now saying, are we sure? Like I'm hearing things about you, but are we sure that you are really the Messiah John was in the water. John's in the water whenever he hears God's voice confirming it and sees the, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove on Jesus. And now in this moment when his identity has been taken, when it's been stripped of him, he's going, are you really it? Are you really it? And I I, I just kind of made this note that aligns so well with me and I think with all of us is isn't it always the times when we have a loss of trust in our own identity that we, we, it forces us to go search for Christ's identity? In those moments when we're doubting, and the other interesting thing that we have to understand is the difference between doubt and unbelief. Because doubt is just not understanding what God is doing or why he's doing it in our lives or in the lives of people around us. Whereas unbelief is this refusal to believe in God's word and a refusal to then act as God is asking you to act. And we can definitely see that John had all of these beautiful vision. He had this prophecy. He knew who Christ was in one moment, but when the circumstances really got bad, John now is a little bit kind of, I guess he's just he's confused, he's disillusioned, and it reminds me of a book that I just finished reading. It was called The Gentle Giant of Dynamite Hill. All right, it was like a three dollar Mardell purchase, and I'm I'm looking at it and I'm like, man, I love hearing about people's stories. And this this book was about a man by the name of Arthur Shores, and Arthur Shores during the 1950s and 1960s was the only licensed lawyer. African-American lawyer in the state of Alabama. The only one, through all of, through all of the racial tension, through all of the, the persecution, he's the only one. And his daughters are telling stories about their dad. And in it, this man has such incredible vision. He had, he had so much conviction about making sure that there was racial equality for everyone in the state of Alabama and in, the, in this country. He wanted to make sure that everybody was getting paid the same wages. He wanted to make sure that job opportunities were all the same. He he wanted to make sure that education and and what was was given to his kids, all right, was the same as anywhere else. He had all of this conviction, but the reason the book is called The Gentle Giant of Dynamite Hill is because people didn't like that. And so the KKK would go to his house, they would plant bombs at his house, all right, and either attempt to bomb his house or actually succeed at times and bomb his house all right, and, and it killed his dog on one, one instance, blew his wife out of bed in another where she got a concussion, and you hear from his daughters, and you hear from, from the wife and how she was thinking, and, she, and they were all saying, Arthur, it's not worth it. It's not worth it, Arthur. Like, don't let this be our fight, all right? Let somebody else deal with this. We, we don't want this to be our fight. They kind of were like John in that moment, of being like, okay, I was so convicted about what I was supposed to be doing and what truth is and, and my you know, job in all of this. And at the time of coming up against harsh circumstances went, you know, I'm not really sure I really wanna do this anymore. I'm, I'm kind of doubting what's going on. And yet the beautiful thing about doubt is that we sometimes view it as a bad thing, but actually God uses it For good in our lives. Oswald Chambers said, Doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong. It may be a sign that he is thinking. Oz Guinness, in his book, God in the Dark, says, Doubt is not simply intellectual, an abstract philosophical or theological question, nor is it merely psychological, a state of morbid spiritual or psychological anxiety. Doubt is personal. And that's why it hits so hard because it's those moments when we're asking ourselves, can we trust God? Are we sure we can trust God? How can we be sure? Do we trust him enough to depend on him utterly? And we know what John feels like, right? We know that struggle. John, the the beautiful thing about John is that he does connect to the Old Testament, but he also connects with us. Like even other Old Testament figures, all right, Moses, the, the great leader of Moses, at times after seeing God, all right, bring the plagues on Egypt, part the Red Sea, going to Mount Sinai and receiving the Ten Commandments, at times he's like, God, I'm done with this. All right, I'm done with dealing with your people. All right, I'm, I'm sick of whatever they're complaining about now. I, I don't want any more of this. He had seen amazing moments and power from God and said, I don't want any of this, just like John. Another one, Elijah, all right? Elijah gets to kind of dispense God's justice to all of the false prophets. He sees God consume an altar that, is, that has been soaked with water and he sees the fire come down and consume it. And in that moment, all right, the people are turning back to God. And within hours of seeing that and experiencing God's provision and power, he's already saying once his life is threatened, oh, it's over, I'm dead, I'm dead meat. All that doubt had crept in that quickly. And then we have another guy, all right? Jeremiah, a prophet of God, who was tasked to speak the words of God to the people of Israel. And at times, he just says, God, because of what I'm saying, I just get mocked all the time, and I'm sick of it. Why Why are you making me go through this? These are things that we can relate to. Even though they happened thousands of years ago, we have all had those thoughts as well. But let's see what Jesus' response to John is. Because it says in verse 20 that John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? So now they're going to Jesus and let's see what his response is. At that very time, Jesus cured many many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits. And he restored sight to many who were blind. Then he told John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And then Jesus added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Let's just start in verse 23 right at the end because Jesus is identifying where John's doubt is coming from. It's aggravated by his circumstances, but he's identifying where it's coming from. And it's something that happens in our lives all the time. Jesus says, and blessed are those who are not offended by me or who don't fall away from me. And Jesus is saying, right now, John, your expectations of me are not lining up with the reality of what I came here to do, right? Jesus is like, I didn't come here to start a political or physical kingdom like John and a lot of the Jews thought. I came here to worry about a spiritual one. And so John's expectations of what are going on and what the reality of Jesus is doing are not lining up. Not only... Not only is the reality not lining up, but but John is looking and going, we thought that you were going to become a political power. We thought that you were going to take back authority from Rome. And the domino effect of this is John is going, if the Messiah comes back and takes this power, the dominoes can fall in a way so that that Messiah can then get me out of prison. And so John is sitting there and he's confused and Jesus is saying, blessed are those who believe in me even when their expectations don't line up with what the reality is that's going on. And we do this all the time. I don't know when you came to your faith. I don't know if you even have faith in God right now, but we all have thoughts and presuppositions about God. Some of them that we, this baggage that we kind of bring into our faith, there's some things that just kind of form in us while we're in it. You ever had the thought, God, God, I'm a very generous person. Like I give to the church and to your people and the people in need all the time. Why aren't you blessing me right now? Why did I just lose my job instead of getting a promotion? Or or God, like I'm living for you all the time. Like I'm a light in my community. Why in the world then is my reality right now that I'm sick, that my family member is sick, that we're scared to death of what that next doctor's visit is going to bring us. We've all had those thoughts. And John has those doubts right here and is saying, God, Jesus, I thought you were gonna be one thing and you're something else. I thought you were gonna be a man of power and instead you're hanging out with the poor all the time. I thought that you were gonna come and kind of be around the social elites. Instead, you're around those in need at the bottom all the time. And Jesus does not scold him for his doubt." Jesus is very kind and soft, but just says, go back to John and tell him. Go back and say, all right? The blind see, the lame are walking, the deaf can hear. I'm bringing people back from the dead, John. All right, now these are all prophecies out of Isaiah. All right, the the, the beautiful thing about the Old Testament prophecies for for the Messiah is that it was a way for the Jews to be able to test, is this really him? They, they would be able to see them and test. And I don't know about you, but those, those things that, that Jesus identifies, like no one else is doing those things. When John says, hey, are we gonna, do I need to go look somewhere else? My sarcasm is like, where are you gonna look, John? Like, do you know a lot of people that are bringing back like vision for people that are blind or helping the deaf to hear? Like, do you have like more people in your back pocket that you could just kind of pull out like that? But Jesus just says, John, I'm meeting all of these messianic prophecies. And here's what's crazy about these, is these prophecies were written 700 years before Jesus is even on the scene. And there are hundreds of prophecies. In his book, Case for Christ, Lee Strobel, uh, you know, cites a man by the name of Dr. Peter Stoner, a mathematician. And, and, and this doctor pulled together hundreds of mathematical students, is that the right word? All right, mathematicians, they were students. They said, what are the chances that one man just fulfills eight of those prophecies? Just eight, that's it. Not the hundreds, just eight of them. What are the, what are the odds that this could happen? And this is what they came up with, all right? The chances of one man fulfilling eight prophecies, eight, all right, is one chance in a hundred million billion, okay? Hundred million billion. I didn't even know that was a number, okay? It's been a while since I've been in school. I didn't even know that was a number. And so I looked it up, and it's one with 17 zeros behind it. And Jesus is saying, John, even though my reality and my mission don't match exactly what your expectations are for me, I'm the real deal, baby, all right? I'm the real deal. You can trust in me. You can trust that I am who I said I was, that I am that Messiah. No one else is doing this stuff, all right? This isn't like, this isn't like going to the boardwalk and finding a psych, psychic on vacation, all right? And they're like, oh, I foresee that you will have a new love interest in your life. Right. Oh, I foresee that you will be walking through new doors. No, this is, this is like, this is a hardcore prophecy and Jesus saying, I'm it. Who I am is everything that God intends for me to be while I'm here to set up this spiritual kingdom. You don't have to look any further. I, uh, one of the things that I really enjoy about being a youth pastor is that every year when students graduate, not all of them, but a couple of them want to stay really connected. They want to keep talking, they want to go out for lunch when they're back in town, and, and you know, whether they go into college, whether they go into trade school, whether they go into the military, whatever it is, straight into occupation, they, they just want to stay connected. And every single year, all right, every single year, just had a conversation last week. They say, Mike, I've been looking elsewhere. Asking that question, all right, do I need to look somewhere else? Because they get out in their own independence and in the real world, and they think to themselves, all right, was that just my parents' faith? Is it all real? Does it even make a difference? And so they start looking elsewhere. They, they don't just ask that question that John asked. They actually do it. And every year we have this conversation and and they replace God with other little mini gods, all right? It doesn't even have to be like college partying. It can sometimes just be like fully getting into their academics at a level that is just consuming them. It can be their career path and just making sure that everything is lining up perfectly for what they need. And those things become their gods. And every single conversation ends one of two ways. With them either saying to me, Mike, you know what I realized? After looking somewhere else, I can't find what God offers anywhere else. These beautiful qualities and attributes of Advent, all right, the hope that Christ brings, the peace that he provides, the joy and the love that he gives to us and then asks us to give those things out to others. I've looked and I haven't found anything. No level of partying can do it for me. No, no level of success, academic success or career success has done it for me. Nothing brings me contentment except for when I come back to Christ and I put him in his right spot in my life. They either say that to me or I say, maybe it's time to come on back. Maybe you've been away long enough and you realize, no, I can't find this anywhere else. I will not find the hope of Christ. I won't find the peace, the joy, the love. You can't find those things. Maybe it's time for you to come back and they're like, yeah, maybe it is. I just wonder how many of us in here, have asked that question recently or have asked that question over the course of our lives, where should I look? It's gotta be somewhere else out of Christ. And I just would like you to consider that maybe it's not out of Christ. Maybe it's in Christ where you find that. Here's what's interesting about John is that Jesus goes on to say to the crowd in verse 28, I tell you of all who have ever lived, None is greater than John. Pete mentioned this last week. John was right there pointing to the Christ, the Messiah that would take care of the sin of the world. But then after saying that, he says something that's kind of perplexing. He says, yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. Even the least. So how is John the greatest man and yet even the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. Jesus is saying, John, John is a part of a different time period. John's a part of the Old Testament. John is a part of a time before I came to set up a new covenant. And so John being this close to the Messiah makes him a great man. And yet, for those that live in the new covenant, for those who are under Christ's blood, for those who have been bought with his price, there's so much more available to you. There's so much there that that is just right there because what, what Jesus is saying and what he's looking ahead to and what John didn't know at the time is that Jesus is saying, all right, when I leave, there's gonna be this spirit that comes. And it's going to live inside of those who follow me. And all of these things, these beautiful parts of Advent, all of that contentment, all of that joy, all that peace, all of that hope, all of that love, and so much more are going to be available to those who follow me. So even the least will be greater because of what they have available to them. And I just wonder, I just wonder as we sit here, have you ever had that? I uh, talk about expectations and them not being met. You know, just, you know how kind of weird it is when our expectations aren't met? Even like Cody, Cody had mentioned about when I was talking to him about it, when you're expecting like sweet tea and you get Dr. Pepper and it just kind of like takes you a second. <laughs> I was not expecting the carbonation there, you know. And when expectations aren't met with, you know, with what reality actually is, it just kind of takes us a moment. I, I kind of had that moment as well. And before I tell you about my moment a couple of weeks ago, I want you to see something, okay? Because you ever, you ever seen someone's face, but you don't get to hear their voice for a while? And so you kind of make up in your head what their voice will sound like the first time you hear it, right? And when it doesn't happen, it's kind of offsetting a little bit. It kind of takes you a second to adjust. Well, there's a guy that plays for the Kansas City Chiefs, all right? Sports fans have this happen to them a lot because we get to watch somebody, we get to see them inside of a helmet, we get to see them on the court or on a baseball field, but we don't get to necessarily hear a bunch of sound bites from them. And so we deal with this a lot. And so this guy, Patrick Mahomes, great looking dude, all right? He is in his second year in the NFL as a quarterback. And in his second year, his first year ever starting, all right, this guy is making highlight, you know, play reels all the time, like pretty much every NFL team, any fan of any team in here wants this guy as like their 24-year-old quarterback to set up their franchise for the rest of, you know, for like the next decade, and I'm looking at this guy, and I'm like, all right, this is the man, dude, he's like 24 years old Right, this guy played baseball, too, so he can move and throw to his left. He can move and throw to his right. He can be backpedaling and throw the ball like the length of the field. It's just crazy what he's doing. But then listen to what he sounds like. Defense so far. Yeah, I mean, they have a ton of talent everywhere. Uh, that They've had it for the last couple of years, and they seem like they just keep adding uh, good players. Uh, so for, for us, we're going to try to attack uh, and use our strengths and our weapons that we have, and uh, hopefully we can put up some points and get a win. The past in the- all right. A little bit like Kermit the Frog hasn't gone through puberty, right? And it just takes a second. And this is what we do with God all the time is God, um, the things that I'm expecting, I, I thought that when I gave my life to you that things were gonna get easier. I thought all of the problems were gonna go away quicker. And God's like, that's not what I ever promised you. I promised to be there with you. I promised that I would be that Messiah that takes care of your sin, that Messiah that provides hope and joy and peace and love even in the midst of those things. That's what I promised. A few weeks ago, I, uh, I just kind of had some expectations of God that, you know, God, things aren't happening on my timeline. I, I don't know that I should really even be trusting you to, get this accomplished anymore. And so I just spent a couple days with a a very sad heart attitude towards God, like, I'm good. You ever done that? I'm good, God. You know, if you're not gonna figure things out, I'll figure things out. And it just, you know, I I just noticed it, and I just noticed where my heart was and where the placement of, of me and how I was relating to people and just all of that. And I woke up on the third morning, and before my head left the pillow, I just went, this is miserable. This is miserable, Mike. This is, what are you doing? Why would you ever choose to live trying to muster your own hope, your own peace, your own joy, your own love, just trying to find it in myself when God is sitting there saying, you guys are greater than John because I'm gonna give it all to you. I'm going to hand it to you. That spirit inside of you, even when you feel like hope is, is not to be found, I'll give you hope. When you find peace in no one and nothing, I will give you peace. All right? When you should not have joy in these circumstances, I'll give you that joy. And when love is the furthest thing from you, I will be your love and will give you the strength to love others if you live and trust in me. Can I just ask you guys to, to bow your heads and just kind of have a reflective manner as you do? I just, I just wonder, I just wonder if you're honest with yourself and you hear this story and, and you hear about doubt and what's going on and you just kind of evaluate what's going on inside right now. I wonder how many of you are asking the question right now. God, should I go look somewhere else? The expectations that I have and the timeline that I have is not getting met. Should I go look somewhere else? Or maybe you asked that question five years ago and you have no idea what you are still even doing in church, but you're here. And you've been trying to muster up all these beautiful qualities of Advent for years. And you realize there's nothing anywhere else. Or maybe you've been asking that question all along and saying, I'm just gonna look other places. And yet, just like me, every morning you wake up before your head is off your pillow, you realize... I'm anxious. I'm depressed. I'm miserable. And yet I don't want to turn to the one who says, I've got it all and it's available to you. Can I just ask you to consider, no matter where you are on that journey, to pray right now, God, even through this doubt even through this time, as horrible as it is and as much as I hate it, even though I wish things were going differently, give me the faith to trust in you. God, you say that all things are available through your spirit, that all these these beautiful qualities of life are available in his power, not mine. Can I just ask you, to pray for that, to stop trusting in you and what you represent in your own self made identity, and start searching for abundant life in christ's identity if you 've never done that before, I would love to stick around and talk with you at the end of service. I know that there will be people in the the corners to pray and just have that conversation just say. Maybe Jesus is everything that he said he was. Let me pray for us. God, although we don't always know what you're doing or why you're doing it, just pray that you would give us the strength, God, to wrestle, to ask questions, to pursue your truth. Father, I pray that even in the hardest times that you would be growing us, that when we realize that our identity has been stripped away, that we are are pursuing yours. God, and I ask that in those moments that you would surround us with grace and that, God, our lives would be a reflection of the, the hope, the peace, the joy, the love that you have given us, that our lives would reflect that. In our communities as well. In your name, Lord, Amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.